Glory to God. God's good to us, folks. Thankful. You know, and, and what a privilege it is to be uh, chosen. The Bible says we're a chosen generation. He uh, called us out of darkness. Could have left us where we were. But he called us out of darkness. Chose us. A chosen generation made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm thankful for what God has done and, and that he has picked us. You know, we, when we were kids, we always wanted to get picked for the best team. But uh, you're serving the Lord. You've been picked for the best team. I'm thankful for it today. While you're standing, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 today, as we continue in our discipleship program, this, this next lesson uh, on the posture of a disciple. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writing to the church. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so we're going to talk today about this informed but not transformed. I don't want to just be informed. I want to be transformed. Let's pray for the lesson today. Lord, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the faith that it gives us. Lord, today let our hearts be good ground. Let it find a place to grow and prosper and change us today. We're going to praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Thankful for his word. And I'm thankful for the changing power of Jesus. You can be seated this morning. You can. So we want to be changed. We talked last week about uh, becoming mature disciples of Jesus, not just saying, you know, not just getting older in the Lord, but maturing in the Lord, not just having a, uh, you know, a, a sheet that we could say, I've never missed a service in 12 years. Well, that's great, but did it change you at all? Did it do anything to to, to make you different, or are you the same person you were 12 years ago? Have you been transformed? Because we know that uh, to become mature disciples of Jesus Christ, we, we have to experience some kind of transformation, but it has to be the, the transformation that only He can give. It can't be uh, the transformation that you or I give somebody it's got to be the transformation that Jesus gives somebody. And so we need the Word of God in our life, and we want to be disciples of Jesus. Uh, but let me tell you, hearing alone does not change you. You have to apply what you hear. It's not enough to just hear the rules. You have to obey the rules. If you're doing anything in this life, it's, uh, if someone is teaching you in school, it's not enough to just hear what the teacher is saying. If you don't apply it, it doesn't change you. you uh, we teach our kids as they're growing, and we want them to become mature adults. And so as we see them 
uh, enter into places in their life where they've never been before, but we have experience and we tell them, don't do this because this will happen. And if they do not heed that, then they're never changed and they'll quit. They'll keep on putting their fingers in light sockets or touching a hot iron or or playing with uh, fire or running with scissors, you know, the things you tell your kids, you know, when they're little, you, you want them to change their behavior. And, and you know, it's, uh, they throw that first tantrum and fall out in the floor and you take them aside and real sweet tell them that if they want to see their next birthday, that will never happen again. If they do not transform their thinking, uh, you know, they may be, they've been informed but if they don't transform, uh, they're going to catch that whooping. It's going to, it's going to happen. And so I want to mature. But if they mature, they learn, I understand. I want to do better. I'm going to uh, not be a hearer of those instructions. I'm going to be a doer of those instructions. The Scripture tells us not to be a hearer only, but to be a doer of the Word of God. And then the Bible says we are born again by the Word of God. That in itself informs us that there is a change that comes in. We're not just uh, informed, but we are to be transformed. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are made new. That means we have been transformed by this uh, redemption, this uh, body and blood that was sacrificed by the Holy Ghost that lives inside of us. The Bible says that when the Spirit of God moves in, it is the Spirit of adoption. And now we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witnesses that now we are the children of God. So uh, I have been changed, uh, called out of darkness. That's a transformation. Uh, in a times past, it said we were not the people, we were not even a people, but now we are the people of God. And so uh, the thing about that is, is you can be God's people and lack transformation because Israel had that problem time and time again. And you can be called and anointed and you can actually be informed of what your duties ought to be, but never be transformed by trusting God and serving God and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And as we read things, stories about people like King Saul, how that he was called and anointed to be the king over Israel, but something never quite transformed in him. He knew he was king. He knew that he was anointed, but he never applied what God uh, asked him to do. And, and we find how much trouble that got him in. So I don't want to just hear the word of God. I don't want to just read the word of God. I don't want to just take classes and, and uh, have people teach me things, inform me without it transforming me. Brother Jeff Arnold said in a message one time that unpracticed truth is no better than false doctrine because false doctrine won't produce anything but death and uh, unpracticed truth will not produce anything but death. We've got to make sure we are being transformed and not just informed if we want to become mature disciples of the Lord. All the information in the world is no good for anything if you don't use it. If it doesn't affect you, if it doesn't change you, it's, oh, the, the, the life-giving Word of God, the problem-solving Word of God will not do you any good at all if it doesn't change you. 
Is this mic cutting in and out? Could somebody hear? I'm going to move. All right, I'm going to change up. Hardly abide that. That's driving me crazy. It's uh, the thing about being informed is that we may even fool ourselves because we are told that knowledge is power, but it's only powerful if it's used. It's only powerful if it affects change in your life. And so knowing that uh, Jesus can save you is uh, wonderful, but it does nothing for you if you do not apply that because you are never going to be saved against your will. Uh, it's not a, it's not like a, a shot that you can take your kids to, to like you take your kids to the doctor to get uh, the shots when they're they're little because you don't want them to have mumps and measles and chicken pox and you say, uh, the kids don't want to go, but you're going, and they take you and you get that shot, and hopefully you don't get whatever it was they gave you the shot for, but it don't work like that. You can't bring your kids in here and say, hey, preacher, give them a shot of Jesus and they're going to be saved. I can tell you what it takes, but I can't make you. I can inform you, but you've got to uh, believe and act on your own. You've got to accept these things and put these things into practice for your life. I cannot change you. The word can change you if it is applied. When we think about this uh, uh, many times I think about the 12 disciples and I think about how that Jesus said, have not I chosen you and yet one of you is a devil. And he was talking about Judas. But, but Judas starts out with these guys and he is just like them. He is walking with Jesus. He was curious, but he just wasn't committed. He was Maybe he was enchanted by what was going on, but he wasn't engaged with what uh, Jesus was doing. The, the buy-in meant something different to him than it appeared to mean to these other ones. He was buying in on the surface only, but uh, if the buyout, he was only doing it if the buyout was lucrative enough. He was to sure, uh, I'm, I'm sure they liked Jesus or Judas. Everybody didn't just say, yeah, there's 11 of us that are good and we hate this guy. He was with them when he sent them out two by two. He was with them when they were uh, preaching to people. And he, no doubt, at some point, he laid his hand on somebody and prayed in the name of Jesus and saw miracles. And I'm sure that maybe in the early stages, he could blend in pretty good. He walked with them. He ate with them. He slept there with them. He was in the boat when... Uh, they saw him walking on the water. He was there in the middle of that storm that was raging. And he was there when the multitudes were fed. He, he saw these things. In the early days, he probably just blended in. But as it got closer and closer to the three years ending, that three, three and a half years coming to a close, and Jesus was uh, headed toward Calvary, it, it was harder for him to, to maybe maintain. And we, we realize that when we see uh, Mary come and break that alabaster box and pour that ointment that expensive ointment all over him and and Judas gets upset and he's like why didn't somebody sell this what a waste why didn't somebody sell this uh this ointment and and, and give it give it to the poor but he was revealing that he wasn't really a disciple he was he'd been informed 
but Judas wasn't being transformed. He, he, he saw miracles and signs and wonders, but it, it wasn't doing anything for him. He, he wasn't selling out. He wasn't uh, giving it everything he got. And, and this starts to reveal some things that are in his heart. And, and the others uh, knew well by this time that Judas did not care for the poor. He may have been already stealing from the money box. Jesus said, leave her alone. She's kept this day <clears throat> of, for the day of my burial. And, and the poor you always have, but me you don't have always. And, and so although this attitude had been concealed in Judas's heart all along, this was the first time he came out in the open with it. There was an intense battle going on inside of him. He could not manage much longer. Something was about to boil over and he could feel it. Why was he just not like the others? Why couldn't he be like them? They seemed so on board and committed. He knew what they knew, had participated in everything they had, but he could not seem to catch up with the group. Judas knew just enough to be dangerous. He knew Christ's teachings. He knew, where Jesus, he knew his attitude. He knew his vision, and he knew what Jesus' mission was. He was so inclined, Judas was, uh, and informed that he was actually the most likely candidate to sell Jesus out. He was an insider who knew the place that Jesus frequented when he wanted to get away from the crowd, and he was now in full cooperation with Satan to bring Jesus down. A few days later, it was Passover. The Last Supper had been made ready, and all the disciples had gathered together. Arriving at, uh, at last, Jesus made the bombshell announcement that before the night was over, one of his closest followers would betray him. And when you read this conversation, that happens next, you, this is where you realize that there's something missing in the heart of Judas. All the disciples begin to ask, Lord, is it I? Jesus answered nobody. Curiously, Judas asked the same question, but he said, Master, is it I? The other 11 disciples had made Jesus their Lord. But Judas only had a teacher. The word master there translates to rabbi, to a teacher. But the word Lord means uh, supreme uh, in authority or God. The 11 had made him God. He was their Lord. And they were following him. But to Judas, he was just a teacher. Somebody to give me some information. Knowledge is power, but that does not mean it always creates the right kind of power. Judas' knowledge of Jesus' whereabouts gave him power to betray Jesus, which demonstrates that knowledge is not enough to make a true disciple. Information alone was not enough to restrain Judas from slithering like a snake to cash in on his insider's knowledge. After meeting with the members of the Sanhedrin and agreeing on a price, Judas led them into the garden where he knew Jesus would be praying. As agreed upon with a cold kiss of betrayal, he identifies the one who they are seeking. Perhaps Judas envisioned other options that Jesus might have had after the deed was done, but selling out Jesus instead of selling out to Jesus was the price that Judas paid for being informed but not transformed. You see, I don't want to just have a head knowledge of him but no change in my life. I don't want to be uh, able to sit around and quote scripture with drugs flowing through my veins and alcohol on my breath. 
I don't want to be participating in all kind of ungodliness knowing what it takes to be saved and, and, and acting like I don't even know him. I don't want to be just informed, but I want to be transformed. I want to be changed. There's going to be a change happen. You can't be the salt of the earth and still be lost. You can't be the light of the world and still be lost. There's got to be a transformation. I didn't become salt and light until Jesus got involved. And knowing about salt ain't enough to have it work. And knowing about light ain't enough to have it work. It's got to happen in you. To be a disciple of Christ in this this 21st century. What is required of us to be a follower of the one who laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. What does it take for us to follow him? When we consider uh, purchasing anything of value, if you're going to purchase a, a car or, or something, an expensive item for your home, you, you, you're like, I, I wonder what the price tag says. What's this going to cost me to have that? What's it going to cost for me to get these things in my life? And, and Jesus, when he's talking about the price of discipleship in Luke chapter 14, after he gets through telling them, if a man will not take up his cross daily and follow me, he can't be my disciple. He begins to talk about counting the cost. For who would sit down to, to build a tower and not first count the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Because it's embarrassing to start building and then have to cut out because the funds ran out. And people begin to say he started to build, but he could not finish. I want to make sure that I have counted the cost that it takes to serve Jesus and understand that there is a cost to serving him. I'm not buying my salvation, don't get me wrong, but there is a cost that's going to be paid. There's going to be a price paid to follow Jesus. Uh, We're going to lose some things in this life if we follow him. We're going to lay aside some weight and we're going to lay aside some sin. But we're also going to start making time for him, we're going to start getting rid of other things. We're not squeezing Jesus in. We're going to move stuff so, uh, so he, he can be here. The cross is going to change you. You ain't going to change it. We, you, know, you, you get in your mind the image of carrying a cross, and you start out with it, and you're walking. In a little while, you're going to adjust your body so you can keep carrying it. The cross will cause you to make adjustments. Or you can say, you know what? I'll take this cross and I'll cut some off here and cut some off here. And then it'll be lighter. And I've changed the cross to make my life easier. But that's not how it works. The cross was meant to adjust me. People talk about needing an attitude adjustment. Well, the cross gave me an attitude adjustment. I realized that carry this cross. I don't change the cross. It changes me. And if I'm going to carry it, I've got to change my attitude. I've got to realize that this is my life now as a disciple. And I've told you before, I've used it with a demonstration, but you just don't take the cross anywhere. It don't fit everywhere. You don't get to say, well, I'm born again and I can do what I want. No. There's some places you go that if you're there, you'll find yourself without your cross. Because people can't see that you're a sacrifice anymore. Oh, no, I'm a Christian. Well, I can't tell it. That means the cross ain't evident. 
But if the cross is still evident, people are going to see a sacrifice. People are going to see somebody committed. They're going to see somebody willing to lay down their flesh and lay down their life to serve him. I don't want to just be informed. I don't want to be able to quote scripture and it not have any meaning in my life. I want to be transformed. And listen, I know oh, today people, this world is, is all about preaching tolerance. It's the, the world is. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Let's coexist. Well, ain't, hey, I ain't got no, I can't, I don't have another choice. I got to coexist with you. You're here. I don't need to read your bumper sticker to know that there's other people that have other faith or no faith or, or other ideas about living in this world. I, we're going to coexist. I'm not going to be trying to murder nobody or wipe nobody out or, or push nobody out. We're going to coexist. But tolerance. People say, well, Jesus was tolerant. Where? He was merciful. He was gracious. And he was loving. But he wasn't tolerant. He wasn't tolerant. He wasn't being tolerant when he was flipping over those tables and, and chasing people out of the temple. That wasn't tolerant. I'm not going to tolerate in you making this, this house a den of thieves. I'm not going to tolerate it. Jesus was intolerant of would-be followers who were more concerned about what they had to give up in their personal inconveniences than they were about the price of being his disciple. He was intolerant of them. He would not force them. He would not hate them. He would love them, but he would not let it slide. When he told the rich young ruler, he said, sell everything you've got, pick up the cross and fall, distribute it to the poor and follow me. Oh, I can't do that. I've got many riches. So, oh, wait a minute. Never mind. You know what? I'll give you a pass. That's the way you live, so I'll just be tolerant. Jesus was intolerant of people and, uh, who said one thing but would do another. God's always been like that. He's long-suffering. He's merciful, but tolerant he is not. Such is the case for well-meaning, prospective followers of Christ who wade into the waters of discipleship only to realize that it is colder and deeper than what they originally anticipated. You remember where Jesus is preaching about him being the bread that came down from heaven. Except they eat his flesh and drink his blood. They have no part with him. From that time, many of his disciples walked away. That's more than I can deal with. I'm all in for the miracles. I'm all in for the miraculous feeding. I'm all in for casting devils out. But you start this you're the bread of life, and I've got to have your flesh and blood. That's more than I can handle. That's a hard saying. I've got to go. In the book of Luke, chapter 9, there are three different cases where there are disciples who are just not completely ready to give it all. There was one who said, hey, Jesus, I will follow you, but Jesus you know, when Jesus spoke to people, he never just said something casual that didn't mean anything. Jesus was always, you know, you read things like, but he knew what was in their heart. And when he knew that they reasoned within themselves, he, he knew what was going on inside of them. 
And Jesus reads this guy's heart and he says in Luke 9 and 58, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's a pretty strange response. Maybe it's because what this man really wanted to know above all else is if Jesus was going to provide room and board for him. If I follow you, am I going to have somewhere to stay? There was another one in Luke 9 and 59. Jesus says, follow me. The seeker's request was to go bury his father. Well, that seems reasonable. Nothing wrong with that, but this is the type of would-be disciple who is not overzealous but overcautious. Can I say this, and you understand what I'm saying today, because Jesus told us, except uh, we'd be willing to forsake everything we have. He said, you cannot be my disciple. There will always be family issues. There will always be life issues, challenges, demands. But none of them, none of them are enough to temper the master's call in our heart. If Jesus calls you, it's answer or don't. Well, that's unreasonable, Lord. Why? You mean I, I gave my life for you, let them beat me, whip me, kill me for you, and that's unreasonable for me to expect that you would just follow me when I ask? There was a third prospective disciple who appeared willing to accept the call to follow, but he desired to first and go home and say goodbye to friends and family. And Jesus, his reply in Luke 9 and 62 was probably stung a little bit. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. People don't like that verse of scripture. Oh, I wish that one wasn't even in there. But Jesus said it so we would understand that it's not enough to be informed. We've got to be transformed. And there's got to be a decision made. And when the church finally lines up like we're supposed to, and says, we're going to follow him. We're going with him. Whatever he said, we're going to do. Whatever he says not to do, we're going to leave behind. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not just going to be information now. It's not just going to be a checklist that I've, I've read year to year. But it's getting inside of me and it's changed me. And I am uh, obeying and, and following into the scripture. That says, I don't live by bread alone. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let me tell you, if all you do is live by bread, it'll transform you. Yeah. You won't be wearing them same size britches you're wearing now. Keep on with that bread. It'll transform you. Why would we think the word of God would be any less? It's the, those words of life. When you ingest them, when you meditate on them, when you pray them, when you live them, it will change your life. And you won't, you can wear it on your shirt, you could paint it on your car, I don't care what you do, put it on a hat and wear it every day. Disciple, disciple. But if you ain't following him, that ain't nothing but a word. That's false advertisement. If you're his disciple, you got the cross and you're following him daily. So in all three of these cases of would-be disciples, none of these requests seem unreasonable on the surface. But Jesus is revealing something about 
the human heart. And it's simply this, that there will always be, if you're thinking with this logical human mind, reasons why we cannot, should not, and will not fully follow now. We will always talk ourselves out of doing exactly what Jesus asked. We might do part of it, but we've got to fully follow him. I could go back to Saul and, and talk about how that he came out from battle and met the prophet and said, I have fully followed the word of the Lord. Then how come I hear all these animals carrying on? Well, the people wanted to keep the best. So we, we did. And how come the king's still alive? See, we have our own idea of what it truly is to fully follow. Oh, you know, God just ain't really watching this situation. Look at all these good animals, man. There's no sense in killing them. Let's take them back and we'll sacrifice to him, man. He'll be so happy. Oh, because he said, I'd rather have obedience. That's more, that means more to me that you would obey what I said than change what I said to try and please me. I'm still doing a work, Lord. I still fought the enemy. But you didn't do what I said to do. You don't get to bargain that with God. And it, you shouldn't want to because none of his word needs changing. It don't need uh, improving. It's good just like it is. It means what it says. It accomplishes what it says it'll accomplish. It's an answer for every problem. Uh, I like that. You know, that's why we got so many versions of the Bible. People will start saying, ah, let's leave this out. Check them, check, get that checklist and start going through and, and see how it changed and how verses were left out and left out and left out. Got preachers today that says even Paul was wrong for being so hard on sinners. My. <laughs> well, let's just keep changing things till there ain't no Bible. Let's just throw that one away and write our own. That's the world today. So when Paul, when we get back to this, our first opening of scriptures today, Paul is writing, and he's writing to the church, to the believers at Rome. So these are people who are not uninformed. These are informed people, people that know what Jesus has done. They know about repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost. They know about, and these signs shall follow them that believe. They know about be holy because he's holy. And he's writing to them uh, to tell them, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He is giving them an all-in statement that it can't be halfway. And, and to them now, when you've you got to remember, he's writing to them about, hey, you need to be a living sacrifice. That's a whole new, different meaning to them than it is to you and I because they lived in a time of sacrifices where people were either sacrificing the false gods or they were sacrificing to the God. But they knew one thing, that it meant something's going to die. You don't put the sacrifice halfway on the altar. You don't just put a portion of it on the altar. But you lay the whole sacrifice up on the altar. 
and it takes all of it. It's, it's all or nothing. They, they surely didn't get the idea that living for God was something to squeeze into a busy life. They would not have been any misunderstanding in their reading or hearing as to exactly what degree of commitment that Paul was looking for in them. In the Old Testament, God was looking for a clean, qualified animal to become or to be sacrificed and become a dead animal. In the New Testament, God was looking for the clean, qualified sacrifice of a living man or woman. In the Old Testament, once the sacrifice was offered, it became God's property. Paul carried this idea into the believer's lives by saying that after salvation, after that new birth experience, that believers must now present their bodies as a living sacrifice. And the sacrifice must be qualified before God accepts it. The only qualification required seems to be a sacrifice that is completely upon the altar and not partially sliding off to the side. I have been born again, purchased by his blood. And now I beseech you, brethren, or born again saints of God, that you have something else to make sure you're doing, that you are presenting your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Paul Require, addressed the required commitment of the body to fully engage in becoming a disciple. And then he addressed the requirement or the required commitment of the fully engaged mind as a requirement in becoming a disciple. God is not asking you or me for just a small portion of our lives. He is asking for all of our lives. For you cannot serve two masters. But in the light of the mercies of God that are extended towards such undeserving recipients. Presenting our entire body and whole beings is considered reasonable service. Paul said that we should not allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transformation is the result of true discipleship, beginning with changing our thinking, then our attitude, and eventually our behavior. Conforming to the world will be the result of incomplete discipleship. There's one translation of Romans 12 and 2. The translation of be not conformed to this world is don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. That's why John would write such things as love not the world and neither love the things that are in the world. Because if you start loving the things that are in the world, it'll change you. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know what that does? It changes you. When you love him, you keep his commandments and it changes you. It transforms you. Everybody that Jesus came in contact with or came in proximity of was not changed. There was people who were just indifferent about him. And some just hated him. See, we think that just because Jesus is real that we're changed automatically. We think that because we're in a service where the Spirit of God's moving that we're just automatically changed. Don't happen like that. 
We've got to be transformed. We've got to be changed. We've got to have something happen. We've got to be different. And this is our reasonable service. And so John said, don't love the world and don't love the things that are in the world. Because all these things that are in the world, they're not of the Father whom you say you love. And if you love him, you keep his commandments. You cannot rub shoulders with the world and it not get on you. The scripture says to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. I've always looked at that and thought, man, you know, all right, I'm washed, I'm clean, I'm unspotted. You know how you get something dirty? Get next to something that'll splash on you. All you have to do is, if there's just a nice mud hole somewhere and you're walking down in your white garment and somebody throws a big rock, splashes, unspotted. Or now I'm spotted. Why was you walking so close to the mud hole? <laughs> what you doing on that muddy road in that white garment anyway? Sometimes we just need to stay out of places. Stay away from things. Now the, the good thing is this. If I go keep it unspotted, it can be washed. Because Jesus said, if you confess your faults, I'm faithful to forgive. And let me tell you, he, he can take that garment and wash it. And you can keep your garment. You, you got a favorite shirt? I hope you wash it. I, if I see you in it every time and it's not getting washed, there's going to be taco stains on it and, and you know, all kind of food stains, sweat stains, all kind of stuff going on. Yeah, because I wear it all the time. But every once in a while, you ought to wash it. That's why we get down and, and when we pray every day, uh, we pray, you know, Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. Uh, I die daily. Uh, Lord, cleanse me, as one man said, from my secret faults. Lord, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure somewhere I have done something. So forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me again. I'm not going to let this world mold me. I'm going to be shaped by him. Our society, this world today, desperately needs transformation. It don't need it ain't just about different laws being passed or, or bills being passed or who's in power, who's elected. Man, this world needs a transformation. On the governmental level, you don't find God fearing, praying, Holy Ghost people. Ultimately, it comes down to what's going to keep me in office. This world needs transformation. And as apostolic believers, uh, we are walking in a world where nearly every single value that we hold dear is maligned, impugned, and attacked. Our current culture is void of respect for neighbors, respect for people of other ethnicities, respect for law enforcement personnel, respect for government officials, respect for life out of the womb and in the womb, uh, respect or, or moral decency. We wake up to the news. We're not shocked because of stories of mass shootings, murders, senseless violence. And I'm going to tell you, gun laws ain't going to change it. If there was a transformation in people's hearts, you could have all the guns in the world. Nobody would get shot. It ain't about the gun. It's about the people holding the gun. The moral underpinnings upon which North American culture was built have been removed. 
prayer has been removed from public school. Life has been devalued with the legalization of abortion. School teachers today are scrambling to try and teach basic social skills, proper behaviors that used to be taught at home. School has become a daycare. We have been teaching children in school, in colleges especially, that people should learn how to be offended over their place in life, over their gender, over their social economic status or whatever. Just be offended. And this appears to be out of control, that we have no way to stop it. But at the same time, it's a glorious opportunity. Because everywhere that there is an apostolic church filled with transformed believers, there's an answer. We are still a city set on a hill. We are still the light of the world. The transformed life through Jesus Christ provides real life up close and personal stories of triumph, complete before and after profiles. We see how people were. We, I, I know people who were drug addicts and they're not. And Jesus changed them. And they made a choice to live by his word and stay like they are. It wasn't just a program that set them free. It was the power of Jesus. Thieves and liars and all kind of things that went on in our lives. But we've been changed. Paul said in one place, and such were some of you. But now you are washed and you are sanctified and you are justified. And I'm thankful today that Jesus has washed us and sanctified us and justified us. Such were some of you. I sure don't want to be sitting in the church and him say, such are some of you. Such were some of you. And Paul is, again, remember, he's writing to the the brethren. I beseech you, brethren, as a church, make sure, as saints of God, make sure that you are upholding the the standard, that you're upholding the banner. Because what's the world going to look to? If judgment's going to begin, it's going to begin first, the scripture says, at the house of God. Then where will the sinner and the ungodly appear? Where will they appear if we're not holding the light up so they can see how to get out? You know the thing about being salt? It don't do any good to nothing as long as it's in the shaker. You can sit down at the table with a shaker of salt, a plate of grits, and you, you don't add that salt. You're about to eat one of the worst tasting substances you've ever eaten because grits need salt and pepper and bacon and butter and biscuits and eggs. But initially, the only way salt can affect anything is for it to be applied. And so salt just in the shaker ain't no good for nobody. A light bulb in a lamp Ain't no good, even if it's plugged in and power's bill's been paid. It ain't no good for nothing if it's turned off. It don't do anything. You know, I'm not going to plug a lamp up in the parking lot and turn it on so I can see better. There's light out there. But there are some dark places that the light needs to be shining. Yeah, we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light and transformed into the light of the world. And now we can go back into our schools and turn the light on. We can go back to our workplaces and turn the light on. We can go into our own homes and turn the light on. Because we've been transformed. 
And that means the salt we have is the salt. You know, in the Old Testament, talking about a sacrifice, all the sacrifices, they were salted. And so now we're, we have the salt of the Lord. And we can apply that. We can, we can help people get that transformation. But if we just act like we've lost our, what does it say, if the salt has lost its savor, it's lost its flavor power, capabilities, it's no good for nothing. It has no power to transform nothing. What if salt, if you had a salt shaker and it didn't taste like salt, you poured it all over you. I know, you just keep pouring it and nothing's happening. You could pour as much as you wanted to. You could turn the bottle up and there would be no salt, no flavor, no taste. I don't want to lose my salt. I don't want to lose my transformation. I'm transformed by the blood of Jesus, by the spirit of God that lives inside of me. I'm thankful that once we're in Christ, we are new creatures, but we got to live like that. It's not enough to quote that. you got to be that. Let's stand together. I'll keep preaching today. Mature disciples of Christ. That's not such a far-fetched idea. We need people to be mature disciples of Christ. I've said this before to our church, and, you know, revivals in Scripture started somewhere. There were places, you know, it, it started in Jerusalem, and then it moved on, and they were in different cities and different towns, different places, and, and then from house to house, even. And it was because somebody was being the church. Well, why can't that still happen today? Why can't this church in this city right here in this town be that apostolic church and be that place of change and revival? Because we've got the same Holy Ghost that he gave them. We've got the same book that he, in the words that he gave them. And, and so we, we're under that same anointing, under that same calling to preach the gospel unto every creature so why would it seem far-fetched that if we would just be the church that the Bible describes, we'll have the revival that the Bible describes. I said it last week that we will not have Book of Acts revival without Book of Acts behavior. Yep. And so when we start behaving according to Scripture, living our lives according to Scripture, we are going to see God pour out His Spirit like never before. He's ready. We're the church. Let's be that transformed church. Let's lift our hands to him this morning and thank him. Aren't you glad God made a change? We used to sing, what a wonderful, wonderful change he has made in my life. You still feel that change today. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you today for the Holy Ghost that you've poured out on us. We thank you for the change that you've given us in our life. Lord, let us live up to it today. Let us be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto you. That's our reasonable service. And Lord, don't let our minds become infatuated with this world. And Lord, we don't be conformed, but we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Bless these people. Bless me. Help me today, God, to be what you've called me to be, to live that transformed life, to be that mature, that true disciple. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Give the Lord a hand clap and a shout of praise. I'm thankful for the change.
I'm thankful for the change that Jesus has made in my life. God bless you. Uh, Let's find a place to pray before the next service and get ready. God's going to do some wonderful things. God bless you.
Praise the Lord, everybody. Ain't God good? All the time. Let's stand together for a moment. Put our hands together and lift our voice to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Did you come with high expectations? Did you come believing that God can do a miracle in this house today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, he could do it. What a great God we serve. Around high five, your neighbors say, I'm glad to see you in church today. God's good. God's good. Glad to see all of our visitors that are with us today. Let's give our visitors a hand, RAC. We love you already. Glad you're here. Make yourself at home. Thank you for coming to worship with us. And we are super excited to have Brother Philip, Sister Kaylin White, and baby. And they're not visiting their home. Praise the Lord. We're glad they're home, man. God's good to us. We love, love having our people home. We're just excited about what God's doing. Let me 